Welcome to the Draw Shops Get Genius Podcast, where we talk to today's business influencers to pick their brain and pull out their genius. It's time to get genius. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Get Genius. Today, our guest is Dr. Angela Loria. I met Angela, I think about six months ago, saw her speak on stage and then knew that I absolutely had to connect with her. And so the next morning, Eric and I made a meeting with her at Starbucks and we just completely connected with her. I totally got her, fell in love with her whole process for authors. So if you are a writer or not a writer, or just someone who's had an idea for a book that you've been dying to get out there, but you can't seem to find the way to actually start typing it. (laughs) You can't seem to get the clarity on what the book is going to do for you. All of the things that, that stump us when we want to get into a project like that. She pretty much has the like best solution ever. And it's also really super, super cool. So when you hear about this in the interview, you're going to kind of be like, oh my gosh, I want to do that. That's what I did. Anyway, she is the founder of the Author Incubator and creator of The Difference Process. And all of this has to do with writing a book that matters. She's also the host of the popular Book Journeys radio and podcasts, and she's helped people free their inner author since 1994. And in just the last two years, she's created almost 200 or more best-selling authors. She herself is the author of the best-selling book, The Difference, which is 10 Steps to Writing a Book That Matters, and also the incubated author, 10 Steps to Start a Movement with Your Message. And if you listen till the end of the show, you'll, you'll see that you can actually get a free copy of The Difference. Angela's clients have actually been on Vanity, on the cover of Vanity Fair. They've been in O Magazine, the Today Show. And she just has this amazing process from the idea of the book until the final publication of the book and to the launch of the book and all of the marketing that goes along with that. So if you've been wondering, how am I going to do this? How am I going to write it? How am I going to then get people to actually want to read it? She's got the answers to all of that. So please enjoy this episode as I know you will. Hi, Angela. Hello. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you. And I know our listeners are going to be so blown away by what you're doing. So I want to jump in and ask you what made you come up with this whole process and this idea of the author incubator? So I've been in the book industry for like 23 years now. And I've done in my first 17 years, I think I did every job uh, that there was to do. So I was a ghostwriter. I was a researcher. I was a fact checker. I did PR. I actually like did a lot of editing. So there were so many different parts of the process I'd seen. But one of the main things that I saw was that all the different people that were working with authors on their book, they all had a slightly different agenda and no one ever talked about those agendas. And so if it was a designer, like they wanted to have a really beautiful cover for their portfolio. And yes, of course they wanted the author to be happy, but they really wanted to do something cool. They could show people and that makes sense. And if it was the editor, 
like, and, and I was guilty of this too, is like, I was trying to make paper, I, I was trying to make books, English, English class good. Like I wanted to make sure Mrs. Hawkinson would be proud of me still. <laughs> like I've got the grammar mastered. And so everyone has these slightly different agendas and they're not always in line with the author's best interest. And so the idea for the author incubator really came about when I noticed that I had taken on the role of book coach. And yet a lot of my authors, even though they had lots of nice things to say about me, they weren't finishing their books. Right. And so like here was another place that this other piece of the puzzle still wasn't getting that whole puzzle together. So the whole concept of the author incubator is that you go from idea to launch with one team that's all pulling in the same direction and that really we start by getting clear on what the strategy is, what success would look like. And then we all make sure we get you a book that does that. And really that's the piece of the process that was missing in, you know, probably the two or 300 books I'd worked on before I started the author incubator was we didn't even really know what success was. We just thought it was an awesome book. And there's so much more that you can do if you know what your more specific goals are. Right, exactly. So what has been, in your experience, the the primary obstacle for people not even being able to sometimes even get started on the book? They have an idea or they start and they've got three pages and then that's it. Or doing anything with it, even if they have written something. Yeah, all of those, It's I think it's the same thing. Like I think what happens for people is they don't really know why they're doing a book. They see other people have done it and they like results other people have gotten. So it's a little bit of this, if you build it, they will come theory. Yeah. Where most people try and go as wide as possible because they don't want to leave anyone out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that will kill your book in its tracks if you actually do finish it. But mostly what will happen is your inner author will protect you from being able to finish your book because part of you, the like wise higher self part of you will know, wait, this doesn't make any sense. Like who's going to read this and why? And so a lot of our authors will say, like, they've had that thought, like, who who even is going to read that? And once you get really clear on who you're writing your book for, and you know that person exists, then you're really writing your book as a love letter to one person. And while there are love letters that aren't finished, there are a lot more finished love letters than finished books. Right. So... That kind of leads me to, to the next question. What, what does that book do for them? What is that reason for having that book? Okay, so there are four main reasons that we see. Now, there are other reasons to do books, but these are the four that are most common, at least in our business, which is working with entrepreneurs and business owners who have usually a product or service-based business. This is what we see, the things that a book can do. So the first, which is also the most rare, But some people have an idea for a book. It's often like their life story yeah. that they just feel like they need to tell so that they can say they've done it. And we call these books catharsis books. And the way that I think about a catharsis book is like you might go to a local pottery shop and make some teacups and then you might have a whole lot of fun drinking out of those teacups. Like your best girlfriend might come over and you might have coffee and look at how hard it was to do the handles and how great they look. And like that's a fun personal accomplishment that you can be proud of for 20 years. Hopefully, you don't break your cups. 
And so like, it's just a nice personal accomplishment, but we're not expecting anything to come of that other than your book is finished. Okay. The cool thing that comes out of catharsis books a lot of times is it opens up space for something new to come into your life. So we've had people do catharsis books and then get married shortly after, start businesses, write another book that actually does make a difference. And so sometimes it's just like, it's not bad to have a personal goal and check something off your bucket list. The problem is, and what will show up as writer's block is, or procrastination, is when you think you have a book that's going to make a difference, change the world, get you on Oprah, but what it really is is just personal catharsis. Okay. So the other three types which fall into our books that make a difference category are platform speaking. So you can write a book that's specifically designed to get you speaking engagements. Those can be paid or unpaid, Okay. but the process is very similar. Now, you might also get clients and you might also get names for your list, but you would write a book very differently if your goal was to get speaking than if your goal was to build your list. So the second kind of difference-making book is a list-building book. And the purpose of a list building book is it works really well for people who have charities or nonprofits when they need a big list to go to for donors or to come to a gala, but they're not necessarily selling a product or a service directly. They're more selling being part of a movement and there's no revenue from that movement that would come from the readers of the book themselves. Okay. And then... The third type of book, and this is probably 60% of the books we do, is a client conversion book. And the purpose of this book is to get people to understand your product, to know the value of the product or service you provide, and then to make a decision if they want to do it on their own or if they want to do it with you faster and easier and with less trial and error. Okay. And so those are client conversion books. And that's what I would say most of our authors who are generating ten to 30000 a month from their books, they're really writing a book to get more clients and they're writing the book in a very specific way to get that outcome. Okay. So you have specific techniques that they, they're being taught so that that book, people are walking away and they're taking a specific action. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So I can give you an example. Yes, please. So for a list building book, if you really, if your number one goal was to build your list, and I gave an example of a charity, the other reason people do this is let's say they want a six-figure book contract or they want a TV show. Yeah. You need to have a really big platform to make it worth a production company or a publishing company's time and energy to invest in you. So you need to prove you can do that. Same thing with getting someone to donate. If you want to get big name donors, you have to have a pretty big list and be making a big impact before you can get those donations. So you want a book that would require, in order to read the book, for someone to opt into something. So my favorite example of this is something like Strengths Finder, like a personality quiz book. Okay. You can read that book without opting in, but it doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. So you want to think of a way to structure your book so that integral to reading the book is some sort of download that's required for the book to make more sense. Mm, Yes. So if you were doing a charity book, then you might want to have the profiles of some of the people you're helping 
and that in order to read the book, you have to download and read their their profiles first. Okay. So you're going to reference things in the book that won't make sense if they haven't opted in. That's great. I love that. So with a platform speaking book, the example I give all the time is any book by Malcolm Gladwell. Okay. So if someone's going to hire you as a speaker, you basically need to have your version of Don't Stop Believing. Mm-hmm. And every time people go see Journey, they want to hear them play Don't Stop Believing. They don't really want to hear their new songs. Like they'll listen to a couple, but they really want to hear Don't Stop Believing. So your version of Don't Stop Believing is a fantastic story that's based around one big idea. So you can't have 20 big ideas in one book. You have to have one big idea, like, the difference between the mainstream and outliers is whoever gets to 10,000 hours of experience first. Right. That's the one idea in outliers. Now that's got to be hard for people. I would imagine authors that come to you because I know, and as you know, you know, years ago I was a ghostwriter. So I know that people come and they're like, but I've got all these ideas and I've got mm-hmm. all this information and I'd always say, no, but they don't care. <laughs> they're not going to, yeah. they're not going to stay engaged. It's going to be too overwhelming. How do you, how do you do that? Do you find that a lot with authors coming to you? Yeah. So they'll tell me like, Hey, I want a platform speaking book. I'm like, great. Who's going to hire you? Make me a list of the 10 people that are going to hire you. Right. And then tell me what the 10, 10 biggest problems are of the people that are coming to their events. And they're like, I don't know who's going to hire me. I'm like, then we can't write the book. We don't have a book yet. We got to know who's going to hire you. What speakers are they hiring? And what problems are those speakers solving? Because that's going to give us a clue. Now, the way you solve it can be very different, but we first have to figure out like what is their, you know, what is their audience's problems because their that organization, their job is to solve those problems. Right. So we have to identify those first. What are 10 places that are going to hire you? What are 10 problems they're trying to solve right now? And yeah, and then we start there and they, all those other things that they want to write about, I tell them can be in future books. But those are other books. Or we can change your goal. We can say like, hey, I just want to write about my 10 great ideas. And I know it's just going to be like a pottery class. And I'm going to have the pottery cups. And I can invite people over to drink out of my cups. But when I give people that choice of like, do you want to actually make a difference? Or do you want to have a personal catharsis? And they're both great. But you have to pick now before you write. Usually they pick making a difference. And we can find that one big idea. Okay. So take me on the journey. Take all of us on the journey. I come to you and I say, Angela, I've got this burning idea within me and I want to create a movement. And the goal is that people join onto this movement. Right. But I'm, you know, I'm scared to put the idea out there or every time I start, I get stuck. And, and beyond that, even if I do do it, how am I going to get people to notice it? Mm-hmm. Those are great questions. So we start with that big vision. So we start with what the movement is. So maybe someone will say to me, I think all women should know that they need to love themselves more. Okay. Which is fantastic. I just don't know how to sell a book on that topic. I don't know how to make a difference with it. I don't know what to do with that. Like, that's great. You could write it. But now we have to figure out for the people that will be in this movement 10 years from now, what is the biggest problem or pain point right now that they're moving away from. So maybe it's body shame and we're going to do something focused on weight loss or body acceptance. Maybe it's relationship pain. But there's some biggest pain right now that they need to move away from. 
And that's how you get the first disciples in your movement. The example that I often give is with MLK. So he obviously had a dream. I make everyone write their I have a dream speech. Right. Um, but in his I have a dream speech, a lot of what he outlined, we kind of have. It's kind of happened now. But it was totally a, a complete dream. And obviously, we're not all the way there. Yeah. But it's not like totally far-fetched anymore like it was. Right. So I want their big dream to sound pretty far-fetched, like everyone walks around talking about how much they love each other and themselves. Like, great, awesome. That's the big dream. That's where we're going. But he didn't start with that. He didn't say like, hey, let's start by getting everyone to accept everyone else. He started with like school segregation. Like that was a specific pain point for a specific group of people. Like we knew people in Arkansas whose kids had a great school next door who were being bused an hour away. And they might have been people who otherwise wouldn't have wanted to get on board with some big message or vision. Right. You know, but what they were willing to do and almost felt like they had to do was to um, take a stand for their kid who was now being bused two hours a day to a crappy school when there was a good school next door. Yeah. So those are your early disciples. You have to find that for you. What's the biggest pain we can move them away from? Now, those people, that first round of apostles, they grab the next round and the next round and the next round. But we can't start, this is what I say, you can't go from zero to Oprah's couch. Yes. (laughs) There's something that happens between where we are now and getting the best message in the world on Oprah's couch. That is so And that difference is making a meaningful difference in at least 10 to 12 people's lives. Yes. And then having those 10 to 12 people be so changed that they want to each recommend you to 10 to 12 more people. Yeah. And so we need to build out. And the way we do that is by starting with a specific pain. So that's the hardest part of my job. It's not the writing. People think writing a book is hard. It takes 15 to 24 hours for our authors to write the first draft of their manuscript. That is crazy. Is that true? Wow. Yeah. It's actually not that hard. It's all this other work that everyone wants to skip and start by writing that makes your book take like 200 hours or 20 years to write because you haven't figured out what you're trying to say. Exactly. So when I was ghostwriting, I would take a week for a project. And like that week, I didn't do anything but write that person's book. But I didn't have any stories about like, am I good enough or is this topic good enough or are there going to be people who want to read about... I don't know, foreign currency exchange or espionage or the various books I wrote about. Like it was just an assignment and it was a job and I did it. And writing 40,000 words, like most people write one to 2,000 words an hour. So writing 40,000 words is 20 to 40 hours of work. Yep. And that's really how long it takes. It's it's all the drama that takes so much longer. So we get rid of the drama first. Yes. And as a ghostwriter, and I've been there too, it was like, I can't write this unless you're, unless we're clear, you know, on what this is about and where this is going and what, what's the call to action at the end. Mm-hmm. So I get that. But it's so funny, even, even myself, when you're, when you're doing something for yourself, you get lost in all of the other stuff. So it's like, you need someone, you need a process to, to guide you through it. And then it becomes so much more simple. Mm-hmm, exactly. And that's the other thing. So we break people's books up to two to four hour writing assignments. Ooh, nice. 
And then I tell people, you can't worry about anything else until this writing assignment is done. Then you can think about whatever all those other things are. You want to think about changing the book, rewriting the title, how, whether you have a middle initial or not. Like, it's amazing what people will spend their time worrying about. Yeah. But I'm like, get me your writing assignment for this week, and then we can worry about those other things. And that takes care of almost everything, because they'll just spend all week getting that done, and then the question's gone. Yeah. Because the question wasn't real. It's just like BS that you make up to keep yourself playing small. So they go through that. They go through that process, and then they've got their first draft. What happens after that? Once they have their first draft, then we go into a full line edit. Okay. So each week as they're submitting those writing assignments, we're editing them as they go along in a content editing, developmental editing style. Um, Then we do a full line edit of the whole manuscript. That goes back to them and they get to do a second draft. And then once the second draft is done, then it goes to a proofreader. So nobody's allowed to talk about typos until we have the content on lockdown. Yes. And there's a lot of, I don't know, what would you call them, like gates in the process. Okay. Which, like, you can't work on certain things until other things are done. Right. You can't work on certain things in parallel. And it's what we found is, like, getting people on a conveyor belt so that, like, this needs to be approved. And then we don't get to go back and revisit it. And people will revisit it forever. This is why if you're listening and you started a book and you haven't finished. Yeah. It's because you don't know when you're done. And I think that's like one of the biggest like services we provide for people. I had this experience when I was in corporate America. I had this experience multiple times, but I worked for companies. I ran their content marketing. So I was writing books for companies. And so I usually worked in the marketing department. And inevitably, once a year, there would be a CEO or a VP who would come up with this plan that we need to name this new product. So we're going to have a naming contest. And every time I would see the freaking naming contest like go up in the lunch rooms, I was like, oh, here we go again. So you guys know the product better than anyone. We're going to give away an Apple iPad to whoever comes up with the best name for the company. Yeah. And then most of the company ignored it. And there'd be a few people. And it was always one like kooky developer and like one kind of socially awkward customer service person. And then the super bubbly intern. And they would submit like 300 names. And then they'd make the marketing team go through them. And we would never pick one. (laughs) So we'd always have a short list. And then we'd announce the short list. And everybody on the short list gets a $10 gift card. And this happened to me at like five different companies, like over and over again. And then what would happen is the company would hire usually a very expensive branding and naming firm in Manhattan. And it was usually like $25,000 to like $150,000. Oh my gosh. And they would hire this company and the company would come back with a name that wasn't necessarily any better or any worse than the list of terrible names that were submitted by the people who worked at the company. Yeah. But they had a process and they had a price. And then they had a cost for going out of scope. So when they made their recommendation, it was like, here's what we recommend. And if you take it, that's great. You've paid for it. And if you don't, here's the cost to extend. Well, sure enough, people always would make a decision then. All the executives would be like, well, we've got to pick something now. Yeah. And they weren't any happier. It was just there was some expert behind it saying they were done. So they had this sense of satisfaction. Right. So I feel like if you don't have someone on your team who is holding you accountable with like a cost 
of, of not finishing on time and a cost of getting the result, like an expert you actually trust. I'm not pitching myself here. This can be anyone, but it has to be someone who has gotten the results for other people that you want for yourself. You need to pay them. And then you either need to listen to them or pay the penalty because you really want to name your product or get your book. That is so, so true. I love that. So you... Okay. So actually I was going to ask you a question, but then I wanted to go back because what happens now after, now they've got this finalized. Now they've got this final book. What happens now? Because the biggest question is, okay, now what? Who's going to read it? How am I going to get it out there? Yeah. So what we do first is we actually, in that early phase, I gave an example with a platform speaking book, but we've already figured out how you're going to market it before you write it. Oh, okay. And P.S., like, we don't tell people this is what they're doing, but we're basically having them write a really great book proposal without realizing that what they're doing is writing a really great book proposal. Oh, that's so good. So the reason why traditional publishers pick some people to work with and not others is because they have a really good marketing plan. They have to have a book idea that's good enough, and they have to be a good enough writer But chances are you would meet that standard. Yeah. What most people don't have a standard for is how they're going to market the book and how they're going to get it out into the world. And that's because they haven't done the work that I talked about earlier of identifying the problem, identifying what people are searching for, what solutions they're buying already. This is all stuff that would be in your book proposal if you had a winning book proposal. So we don't let people know they're doing that. We're telling them they're doing it because they could write their book easier, which is also true. But now when the book is done, so in that final phase, we do all the publishing and all the design and all the proofreading, but they're putting into action their plan. So remember that list of 10 people that we wanted to speak at their event? Yes. Now we're going out to them. We're reaching out. We're telling them, hey, I've got a book. I'd love to get your advance praise. We send them a copy. We start developing those relationships. And whether we get a yes or a no on the advance praise, we know exactly who we want to open up those conversations with. And using the book launch as a way to open those conversations. Oh, yeah. So we do all the marketing for people's launches and we get them their first, usually they get around a thousand downloads of their ebook as part of the launch that we do. And those first thousand people, all we're looking for are their first 12 apostles. Yep. So if we can get 12 clients, 12 speaking engagements, if we can get of the 1,000 people, about 200 of them on their email list, whatever their goal is, we've scoped that to do it from the launch. And then from there, they have a marketing plan that we build together for how they're going to keep that momentum going each month. So like most of my authors will be adding somewhere between 90 and 125 email addresses every month to their list. And they're getting between five and 15 either clients or speaking engagements every month um, that, that are coming from that list of, let's say, around 100 people. That is awesome. And so the trick is just knowing how to do that consistently. So the way we do it is we do it for you the first time so you can see how we do it. And then we kind of teach you how to go fish for yourself based on the, the leverage we've given you by getting that first launch off the ground. So you do something really cool with that first launch. And it takes place at the castle. Yeah. Can you tell us? Because that that was like, I remember sitting down with you and when you went through the whole thing and I saw the pictures and your magazine with all these authors featured in it, I was just like, who wouldn't do this? (laughs) Oh my God, it's so fun. Oh my gosh. Tell us about that. 
So we have a castle. I know that sounds crazy, but it's true. It's called the Author Castle, and it's basically a conference facility that we get to live at. I'm, I'm here right now looking at the Potomac River, and there's bald eagles outside. Right now, we've got baby bald eagles. And it's this pretty remarkable facility that has, there's a ballroom, there's a movie theater, there's a film studio. It's amazing. There's a whole spa level. And so we bring people here for their book launch. So we bring all of our authors here. We launch their books by doing a live video broadcast. And we get a couple thousand people to sign up for the live video broadcast where we interview the authors about their books. So everybody dresses up. You get to invite your friends and family. But more than that, like we do books in groups because writing can be so lonely. Yes. And so just like a traditional publisher has a catalog. We kind of have seasonal catalogs of books where we'll get 10 to 15 of our authors together and they get to really connect with each other about what their book journey was like. Right. And the really cool thing is a lot of them do joint ventures and partnerships together. A lot of people have made lifelong friendships. At our last launch, one of our authors who wrote a book on synchronicity had all these really weird synchronicities with another one of our authors, which is actually a, an older couple. So they were probably 30 years older than the woman who wrote this book. And they ended up adopting her as their daughter. And they did like this formal adoption ceremony because they felt so connected oh that they had gone through the process. It was pretty amazing. That is so cool. Wow. So yeah, so everyone gets to come here. They celebrate their book. It feels like something. A lot of people don't realize, but the day you publish your book or the day your book gets published can be a very lonely day Yes, because you've been working so hard on it. And then basically you get an email that morning from your publisher that says it's live. And then you like, I don't know, watch some TV and go grocery shopping. Exactly. And you need, it's such a big accomplishment. It needs to be celebrated. Totally. I love that. So People that are listening, if this is something they want to do, is there an application process? Do they need to qualify for this? How does it work? Yeah, so we so we want to make sure that we take people into our program that we can actually help and get them the outcome that they want. So there is a pretty intense application process. It's not we're looking for different things than a traditional publisher. Yeah. So a traditional publisher wants to make sure you have 20,000 people on your email list and you know how to market. Actually, if you have that, you're probably not a good fit for us. We want to make sure that you have a real commitment to making a difference and that you're willing to do the work necessary to get your work out into the world. So, so people can go to the authorincubator.com slash apply. Okay. So it's theauthorincubator.com slash apply and share with us about your mission and your movement and your commitment to making a difference. And then we'll actually interview you and make sure that we can help you get the outcome you want and let you know if it makes sense uh, for you to participate in our program. Perfect. And we'll make sure to have that in our show notes and on the, on the blog post for this interview as well. Awesome. So one, one thing that I had heard about and, and read about was a talk that you did recently at, I think it was Thrive. Mm-hmm. And it just got like so much attention. And 
I read about it and I was just like, wow, we have to talk about this because I think it's so important too, especially if you are going out there to write a book and there is something that you want to do to make a difference. And you talk about it and you say, it's something that you are not going to want to hear. <laughs> the listeners, so all of you out there, you're really not going to want to hear this, but it is <laughs> necessary to hear this anyways. And it's you know about people really thinking that they know what they need to do to take them where they want to go. And that might not necessarily be true. So can you tell us what those things are and what they actually need to be doing? Yeah. So here's the thing. So a lot of people think like, you know, do I need a better logo or do I need better program names? Or maybe I need to like hire somebody who can do my Facebook advertising. Or honestly, a lot of people think they need a book. Yeah. So they're like, do, you know, if I had a book, then I would be, you know, making $100,000 or whatever their goal is. And like the truth is those things may or may not be what you need, but the order of events people tend to have wrong. So what they think is if I pay this Facebook ads guy or if I pay Angela to do a book with her or, you know, if I make this investment or this purchase or I get a logo or I get my website – then the if-then statement is, if I do this, then I'll get clients. But actually, the story is you have to show up and be the person who your prospective clients would hire. And then the things that you do naturally are going to be obvious to you. It's not going to be like you have to decide, should I invest in a PR campaign or should I invest in doing a podcast? Right. Because the person your prospects would hire isn't having that debate. So most of the turmoil I see entrepreneurs going through, which is like, is this the right logo or should I invest in getting my website done? They're so not the right question. Like the right question is who would my ideal prospect be dying to invest in? Yeah. And that's somebody who most likely is not unclear about what their niche is. Right. And they're not unclear about what their logo is. Because here's the newsflash. Your logo doesn't matter. Your (laughs) website doesn't matter. I had definitely made over $300,000 before I had a logo or a website. Yeah, exactly. You have to make something sellable and sell it. Exactly. And the person who your prospects are dying to hire, they're out there making something sellable and selling it. And then they're... One day, like somebody said this to me, I was talking to this weekend. She's like, oh, I got a client and it was actually the U.S. Army. And they required that I be registered as a vendor in order to pay me. But to be registered as a vendor, I needed to have my business registered as an LLC. I'm like, that's a great reason to register your LLC. Yes. The best reason I ever heard. Like you will know. And so she showed up as the vendor that organization was ready to invest in. Exactly. They weren't like, well, ma'am, let me see your logo. (laughs) They're like, oh no, this lady knows what she's doing. We got to bring her on. And then it's like, oh, can you jump through some hoops? We need you to fill out this form and become an LLC. And you're going to need a Dun and Bradstreet number. And so she's like, I whipped up a logo. Like I had somebody whip me up a logo because I needed to include it on one of the forms. I love that. That's such a great example. Yeah. And that's the order of events that happens when it's really happening. Yeah, definitely. So right now your program has been in person, I, I believe, or people are... Yeah. No, we do We do two kinds of programs and we actually rotate them. Okay. We do a live program and like brace yourself because a lot of people have to sit down when I say this, but yeah. we do a live program called Three Days to Done where you, yes, write your entire book in three days. Wow. 
But here's the thing. It takes 15 to 24 hours to write your book with a way that we do it. And so we can easily do that in three very focused eight-hour days, um, which is what we do. You get to stay at the castle. The eagles fly around and, and support you while you're writing your book. And we actually have each of the rooms has an author spirit animal. So we have the Mark Twain room, the Maya Angelou room, the Virginia Woolf room, and the Gadsby room. So you get to have a you get to have a patron saint for your three days to help you finish. So that's that is so fun. cool. And then we also do a virtual version. And in the virtual version, it takes the same amount of time, but we just do it over thirteen weeks instead of three concentrated days. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we have a group coming up in the summer. And then actually, we also have a live group in August. So I think we have a virtual group that starts in July and a live group that starts in August. But we're pretty regularly starting up new new groups of authors for people who are, we call them bursters and plotters. So people who just want to like get it done and just get locked into a castle. We feed you. We like take care of everything except for writing the book. You get to sit next to me and write your book. And I read it as you're writing it. Um, wow. Which is fun, or people who want to like dedicate two to four hours a week to their writing, but they maybe still have a full time job or a busy client load, or they have kids, and so they want to do it from home with our guidance. Okay, that is awesome. And is that can they find that same information on the same page? Yeah, I don't think the dates are up there, but if you're interested in finding out the dates, if you apply, um, you'll get a brochure that has all the dates in it. Okay, fantastic. And again, that link will be in our show notes and on the blog post. So you've actually been extremely generous and you've offered our listeners a free copy of your book and your book is called The Difference. Yeah. And it's 10 steps to write a book that matters. Yes. So this is not just a book that you're going to finish, but this is a book that's going to make a significant difference in your life and in thousands of readers' lives. Wow. And is this something that you'd recommend people reading before they start the process? Yeah, exactly. Or if you're stuck. So, and and by the way, I've had lots of, even though we work exclusively with nonfiction authors, I've had so many authors that were fiction authors tell me that this book helped them as well. So all the examples will be around nonfiction. But okay. if you find yourself blocked in any way, if you've done a book and it didn't have the impact you wanted, if you've been trying to do a book and you wonder why you can't beat yourself into submission to get it done, or if you're just thinking about a book and you're somebody who's like, I don't want to do this the wrong way and waste my time. I want to find out the right way to do it. So it's going to have the maximum impact. I think this book, like my personal mission is to share this message with as many people as possible because I spent 20 years learning this stuff. (laughs) Yes. And I just think when people know it, it will take a lot of the shame out of that cycle of like writing and then beating yourself up for not writing or wishing you wrote because that shame actually keeps your light hidden. And I think so many people need to get their message out there. Yep, absolutely. And your method is so proven. I mean, you have over... 200 best-selling offers yeah. authors in just the last two years. I mean, it's like pretty crazy. That is so crazy. It's so awesome. I love it. <laughs> so any of you that would like to get this free copy of the book, which you absolutely should, you can comment on the blog post for this interview, or you can send us a Facebook message and we can send you the digital 
and print or one or the other. If you do want the print version, just make sure you message us with your address and we will get that to you. Awesome. Thank you so much Thank for you so you know, much. getting that message into people's hands because I hate to see people struggling with their books when it's actually not that hard when you know the information that's in this book. Yeah. And if there's anything that you take away from this, that's it. Like you don't have to be stuck or stumped or like, how am I going to do this? I've been wanting to do this for five years. You can actually get it done in three days. So <laughs> yeah, definitely check out the author incubator and Angela, do you have anything else for our listeners that you'd like to share? Yeah, I guess just a final word is that like I talk to people a lot about writing their book from a place of joy and ease. And the reason I talk about this is not because I actually care if you're having a joyful or easy time writing your book. It's because when you can connect with that, when you can connect with writing from that place of grace and giving and from your cup being full, the the energy that goes into the book is the energy that comes out. So that's where you make the biggest difference. So if you're struggling at all, just know like it would be fine for you to struggle if this was just about you, but this isn't just about you. This is about the people you're going to help. And so if you're really going to make a difference, you have to be willing to give up that struggle. That is such a beautiful like shift in perspective. I love that. That changes everything. Yeah, I hope it does because I think it's actually really true. Like here's the thing. It's like it's clever marketing, but it also happens to be totally true. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much for letting me share that. Thank you so much for being on the show. And I'm excited for all the the even bigger things that you're going to be doing. Awesome. Well, enjoy the book, everyone. Thank you. And make sure you comment or message to get that. Fantastic. Thank you for listening to today's Get Genius. You can learn more about The Draw Shop at www.thedrawshop.com on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Your home for kick-butt custom whiteboard marketing videos. Your ideas come to life. Thanks for listening. Please share, comment, and make any suggestions for future genius guests. 